Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Hey there, how's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode where a bunch of us content creators get together, collaborate, and tell you what we've been playing lately. And on this episode are Dice and Dragons, Mr. Board Games, definitely a board game podcast, Mozart Games, The Meeple Dungeon, and Cardboard Conjecture. Also, please remember to check out the show notes for the links to the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast. And sit back and enjoy. What up, gamers? I'm Jason. I'm Julie, and together we're Dyson Dragons. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram at Dyson Dragons, and on Twitter at Dyson Dragon. And what is it today, Julie? It's What You've Been Playing Wednesdays! So what game have we been playing this past week? We've been playing Talisman Harry Potter. And it is a what? It is a competitive game. Can you believe that? We were playing a competitive game. It happens more often than it used to on the channel. Uh, So this is published by the Op Games, and they were kind enough to send us a review copy. So big thanks to everyone over there for giving us a chance to play the game. It is for two to six players and plays in 90 to 120 minutes. And I have to say, unfortunately, it does even at two players. <laughs> yeah, it, it took us easily 90 minutes. One of them, one of our playthroughs definitely took us on the two hour mark. So, yeah. I mean, it is still Talisman, right? Yes. It's it's a long, it can be a long game. It can be a frustrating game if the dice aren't in your favor and you keep going back and forth and missing the entrance if you don't have the required uh, elements to make it up. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's because it's Harry Potter, but it felt it felt like there was more items that allowed us to make our way up to the next level than it was on Kingdom Hearts. I think they're just more memorable than the items uh, that w- were available on Kingdom Hearts because I do remember getting a chance to move up once uh, earlier. But I think the fact that it's like flu powder and port keys and all those things that we know from the Harry Potter IP, it just stands out a little more. Now, if you're not familiar with Talisman, this is a classic of <laughs> the modern tabletop game. It's been around for a long time, has had many different iterations. It is a roll and move game where you're trying to level up your skills in order to be powerful enough to defeat the enemy and in this case of course it is Lord Voldemort what's really cool about this is that you can either be part of the Order of the Phoenix or a Death Eater and if you're on opposing factions you can fight and we did that it's not always to your advantage it can be the nice thing is that the penalty for losing the battle is not that stiff it's still annoying but it's not like the end of the world no, but I mean, it, it. there was some cards when we were both on the same faction. Somehow we both ended up with Slytherin uh, Death Eaters. It was just weird. 
Um, you, you did, yes, <coughs> and uh, she really wanted to be part of the Order of the Phoenix. She's a Gryffindor at heart. She pulled Death Eaters like four times in a row. So finally she's like, fine, I guess I'm, I'm going back to my first tra- Death Eater, Draco. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I much preferred this version to Kingdom, Kingdom Hearts, even though Kingdom Hearts is mainly Disney uh, property. Um, it was uh, it was more fun to play as Harry Potter. I felt it was more thematic, um, and I felt like we uh, it was just more fun to play it. Um, that being said, I lost both games. Um, I'm just not aggressive enough, I guess. I try to be power myself up as much as possible and and miss opportunities. You just went for it and and. You know, it could have gone against you, but both times it went in your favor. Yeah, you you definitely had the the opportunity on a silver platter to to leap ahead of me at the end there on the last game when I got stuck. Yeah, but unfortunately, I was playing Hagrid, and Hagrid is Hagrid. He's got lots of might, but he doesn't have a lot of magic. So it was uh, a little uh, daunting to think of going up against Voldemort when I had little magic. So I was trying to get a little bit more before I went up against him, and that just gave you the opportunity to run away with the wind. So, not run away. You were you were a few steps behind me. If I lost that battle, you would have won. Right. That being said, it's still a long game, uh, and it was frustrating, uh, especially you know playing Hagrid. Uh, if I hadn't been really lucky at one point uh, and gotten the card that allowed me to jump to the next level, I probably would still be going around the, the first level. Uh, I just, you know, Hagrid starting with magic of three, unless you're lucky, you're two. just... Two? Oh, yeah. Whatever, it's really low magic. Uh, and and there, there's a lot of things that make you not be able to uh, to move forward without, uh, you know, a, a fair number of magic. I think it's level four magic that's a minimum that some characters... No, it's level, level nine to go up to the No, level. no, no, but I mean to be able to even have to carry spells and things like that. No, yeah, absolutely. So I, I really enjoyed this as well. I think the theme works a lot better than uh, the Kingdom Hearts theme in terms of talisman. There's a Star Wars talisman if you're over in Europe, and I guess that works as well. But uh, I don't think it would work as as well as the Harry Potter theme did. I think that this is probably the best licensed version of talisman that you can get. Except maybe the Batman one because you are, you know, villains trying to escape Arkham. So the last boss gets to be Batman so that should be fairly thematic as well I just really like the way that this one worked I like the way that the combat is there between other characters but it's still very much on the long side I could see how it could you could really spend you know maybe even three hours if you had a full six player version of this game going now uh, the miniatures are solid quality don't have too many complaints uh, in that regard these are movie stills but i felt that the graphic design was subtle enough that the movie stills really don't hinder the uh, the game itself there's a couple of things in the rule book that i didn't think were written as clear as they could be for example the way voldemort works but uh, the fact that he is an enemy you know moving around the map and even attacking death eaters and the order of the phoenix is incredibly thematic and i just like the way that that worked in the game so i think uh that's enough from us about Talisman, Harry Potter. It's definitely the one version that we're going to be keeping in our collection. I don't know if we're going to be getting any other game Talisman games, but uh, there's always a place for a nice roll and move, especially something that's a little bit more complex. I mean, I'd rather spend two hours playing Talisman than two hours playing Monopoly. Yeah. <laughs> so our, our full review will be coming out the day after this. So if you're interested, check it out on YouTube. And in the meantime, we're going to remind everybody to... 
Keep playing games. Hey everybody, it's M. What's going on, folks? It's R. And together we are Mr. Board Games. And today is what you've been playing Wednesday. And this week we've been playing Ticket to Ride. Ticket to Ride, but not just Ticket to Ride, Ticket to Ride Rails and Sales. Which I got for Christmas last year. Was it last year? Yeah. It was either oh. Christmas or my birthday last year, and I think it's it's pretty much taken us a full year Yeah. to get it on the table. I just didn't think it was last year. I thought it may have been the year before that. Oh, I'd have to go back through our Instagram to find out. Anyways, Ticket to Ride Rails and Sails, pretty similar to the base game, um, but it comes with a double-sided map, Mm -hmm. which we only played the world side because I failed at convincing somebody to play the Great Lakes side. Well, we did just play an hour and, well, probably an hour and 20 minutes, and I suppose we could have continued, but it was getting kind of late too, so. That's fair. It is... Um, like 45 minutes to an hour, um, probably took us a little bit longer being our first playthrough, and me teaching are the rules that are different, um, harbors, the boats, the trains, you know, that you can trade between your boats and your trains, um, for points and luck was not on my side. Luck was not on your side. You tried so hard to build that freaking Harbor. I did. And you didn't get there. I just wanted to call it like Port Jenga. <laughs> and in Sydney. In Sydney. But the, like, in the end, points were, we were pretty close. I want to say. We were kind of close. No, 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 no. I, I was had way an- behind you. Way Only behind because you. you lost those 12 points because you didn't bring build any harbors. And then I had that one harbor where pretty much everything went through. Bugger. Yeah, but in, I I don't know. I really enjoy Ticket to Ride games. They're simple. They're fun. There's some strategy. Every game is different. Lots of replayability. It's what started our relationship. Yeah. It's the first game that I played with R. It's your tagline. It's my tagline. Yeah, I guess you could say it's kept us on the rails and uh, a special place. It's got a special place in our hearts. Now... Now let's just be honest. The the it didn't it didn't build this relationship. We didn't just ticket ride wasn't the it wasn't catalyst. the yeah it wasn't the catalyst. It wasn't the building block. But it was the first game that I played with you, which kind of sparked your interest in. Not true. In it, f- furthering and re-exploring board games, you didn't let me finish. That's true. Because yes, you were a fan of board games, but you had been out of the game. For a while. No, I have never, I've never been out of the <laughs> game. Okay. I've never out of the game. So here's the thing with that. Here's the thing with the whole ticket to ride shenanigans and board game bit. I haven't been out of the game per se. And I've just said game 500 times now. And we're going to keep <laughs> saying game. Cause why the heck not say game? All right. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Uh, so anyways, I wasn't out of the game because I never actually had a collection going, okay? I've always had interest in it, and I was always eyeballing, uh, many moons ago, I was eyeballing Arkham Horror, which was a horrible decision in my end. We played Ticket to Ride. I went home. And you bought Arkham Horror. And I bought Arkham Horror, and I bought all except for, like, one (laughs) one expansion. Uh, It's still not very good. Um, Since playing Ticket to Ride, again, not out of the game, but since playing Ticket to Ride, 
art collection has exploded to the point where I don't even know how we live in our house. Like it's just everywhere. <laughs> yeah, we have games everywhere. And out of all these games, I think we have only played like 25% of them. No, we've played more than that. At least once. Uh, I don't know. I'm still, still seeing a lot of uh, shrink wrap happening. Okay, well, that's because you keep buying games. Yeah, I have a problem with that. Um, <laughs> but how do you say no when something new on the market comes and it looks interesting and you want to play it? You got to get it. I will admit, this, I will say it here and you will hear it first here. R has a problem with board games, but I do not want an intervention. We don't need an intervention. No intervention. And I think all the What You've Been Playing Wednesday crew would agree that there is no interventions needed. Well, I'll have to ask them. Is Do you need an intervention? Maybe. I don't need an intervention. M doesn't need one. Yeah, but if you're listening, maybe you'd need one. Maybe that's why you're listening. Or maybe you just want to keep adding stuff. Who knows? But hey, that's okay. So this week, that's what you've been playing Wednesday. And we've been playing Ticket to Ride Rails and Sales. And uh, until, which you can check out on our channel at some point in the future, just so you know. Um, but until next week, you can check out our YouTube channel um, or catch up with us on Twitter and Instagram at... Mr. Underscore Lonely Table. And until next time, keep it on the rails. That's right. You can follow us on those there. Um, if you want to link to our YouTube, again, search Mr. Lonely Table, or actually Mr. Board Games, believe it or not, on on YouTube, and you can find us there. But as M had said, at MR underscore a Lonely Table, and you'll find us on the Twitter and the Instagram. I do the Twitters. She does the Insta. And we're going to keep the dice on the table. Have a good one. Hey folks, it's Ryan here from Bridge City Board Gamers and I'm one half of the weekly podcast Cardboard Conjecture where we offer our opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. Be sure to follow us on all of our social media accounts, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at BC Board Gamers. And be sure to check out our YouTube channel, Bridge City Board Gamers, where you can catch me live every Wednesday night playing all sorts of different crazy games. Like tonight is the epic finale between uh, Riley Stock and I for our epic Arkham Horror the Card Game uh, campaign. Be sure to check us out. Now, what have I been playing lately? Well, I'm glad to announce that finally, finally, after all of these months of crazy COVID times, that my legacy game group is finally getting all back together. You may have heard these guys on past episodes of Cardboard Conjecture where we talked about legacy games and all of our experiences with actually the pandemic legacy games. And I'm proud to announce that we finally started the pandemic legacy season zero just this past weekend. And boy, oh boy, it is living up to the expectations that I think that we, um, that we were hoping for. Now, we only just started, we started the game with the prologue, and the prologue is a really good point where you kind of get some, you don't actually start making any permanent changes to the game like these legacy games like to do, but it gives you a good solid foundation of running through the game system and what you're supposed to be trying to do in this particular game. And then after we did the prologue, we ended up going through uh, the month of January and we were successful in the month of January for um, Pandemic Legacy Season Zero. 
Now, this version of Pandemic, it like it still feels like a Pandemic type of game, but it, I, I, I'm really enjoying the theme of this one. It's, it's saying that you're in like the 1962 in the middle of the Cold War, and like, you know, there is this um, Soviet bioweapon that they're calling, I believe they call it a uh, Project Medusa, that they're... Um, that they're developing. And what you are trying to do is that you've been recruited by the CIA to kind of go out about, go out and about across the world and try to gather information about, um, about, about this different project. And you got missions and I really enjoy what you're trying to do. Cause instead of like plague cubes or deadly viruses and everything like that, that you're trying to kind of mitigate across the board, um, but you're trying to kind of stop these um, spies from gathering too much in, in one in one location, which is kind of a neat uh, twist on this. Now, you're going to be going across the board and some locations have surveillance icons. And if you start the your turn in a surveillance icon um, area, you're going to have to, you know, um, we used to call them taking wounds. But I believe this one is I think you are. Um, your your like your identity is becoming uncovered, um, unless if you have a surveillance station uh, built in one of these locations. Whereas you're down, you're going to be guarded from these uh, surveillance icons. And really, what you're trying to do is you're trying to amass teams of, um, I'm a guess operatives is what they're what they're going to be called. And you wanted to be able to deploy these teams into certain locations because these locate there's going to be certain objectives where you're going to have to have to try to get these teams into place in order to take an action in order to you know acquire a particular target. And these are what's going to advance the story for you in Pandemic Legacy Season Zero. And I really enjoy it because there's always one that's kind of. Um, or at least in January, there was always one where you knew where you had to put your locations, but then there's a hidden location as well. Um, and I thought this was kind of a really neat um, deduction-like puzzle, where as you're kind of going across, you don't know exactly what team you're going to need because there's three different kind of like alliances that every city on the board has. There is um, an allied city, there's a neutral city, and then there's Soviet cities. And you don't know which team you're going to need until you kind of like, you know, you're going to have to try to take a guess. Or there is a particular action as soon as you collected enough type of cards of a certain region, you can get to one of these um, safe houses. That's what they're called, safe houses, not surveillance places. Um, A safe house with enough of these cards of the region, you can spend an action and actually reveal what the location is. But it's a lot of planning and a lot of work to get to that particular point because you're also trying to get these other, you're trying to collect cards in order to get these um, teams of operatives out onto the board. It feels very pandemic-like. We all have, we all started our new care, we all started our characters and I think we had just about as much fun Uh, creating our characters for the game Um, rather than playing the game. There's there's multiple times where I came to like one of our turns and we said, just hold on, hold on, because we're still creating our, uh, our, our characters, our operatives and their disguises that they have in their little passports. This is a really neat thing too. You have like, you have these passports booklets that you get to track your plays for that particular operative. Um, really, really nice touch there. I really enjoyed that piece. Um, 
yeah, we're really um, enjoying what uh, the very first playthrough here. Hopefully we get can get together on a semi-regular basis to keep this going because I really enjoyed it. It was pandemic and a very different type of theme, but man, oh man, Pandemic Legacy, these have been some of my best gaming memories is with this group. Um, yeah, I can't wait to explore this one more. You can hear more of my thoughts about Pandemic Legacy Season 0 on the next episode of Cardboard Conjecture that's coming out this Saturday, uh, where I'll be talking about it in our gaming banter. And that's what I've been playing lately. I've been Ryan from the Bridge City Board Gamers and Cardboard Conjecture Podcast here in, located in Saskatoon. Um, yeah, be sure to check out our podcast that comes out every Saturday and check us out on all the social medias, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at BC Board Gamers and our YouTube channel, just Bridge City Board Gamers. Okay, folks, you have yourselves a good week and I'll see you next time. I am A.A. Ron Millich. I'm Royce Calverly. <laughs> we are definitely a board game podcast. And Royce is sulking because I, I told him you couldn't change the intro. We're here. I thought I couldn't change the intro. We've recorded it like three times and I thought I was brilliantly funny. Yeah. And he thinks that, you know, it wasn't very good. Yeah, that's true on both counts. And <laughs> we are here <laughs> off to a rocky start on Cardboard Conjecture. What you've been playing Wednesday and we're going to both be talking about one game this time for a change because we both played it together live in person <gasps> as COVID slides and slinks away. We deserve to be back in, in touch with each other in person playing games. Don't you think, Royce? It was fun. I really enjoyed playing some real life fun games with you. Yeah. Yeah. And do you want to tell them what we played? Sure. Uh, we played a classic we played a game that I loved for a long, long time, and I really thought Aaron would enjoy. I did. And I really wanted to get it out. I own the entire Aaliyah Big Box series, and this is number 11 in the Big Box series. This is Notre Dame by Stefan Feld, uh, published in 2007, if I remember correctly. Yep. Yep. So for anyone who doesn't know Notre Dame, well, what rock have you been living under? It's been around forever. Uh, but it's basically, it's it's an early drafting game. Uh, you are drafting, but you're only drafting three cards at a time. And you're going to activate two of them. And when you activate it, you put down a cube. And the really cool part about this game is those cubes. When you put those cubes down. So the first cube, like if you put go to, say, the gold coin spot, you put your first cube down. It gives you one coin. The next time you go there... You get two coins and then three coins and four coins, etc. So the more you go to one spot, the more benefit you get from your cubes. But your cube stays there. And that's where the trick of this game is because you have a very limited number of cubes. And you have to constantly be getting more cubes or you're going to run out. And then you have to start moving them somewhere else where you may not get the economy of scale that you have. So it's really a neat cube system an action system combined with a simple draft that works really really well because everybody has the same nine cards and you're just drafting those nine cards three at a time so you know every card that your your opponents have every card you have and you're just trying to decide what you're going to be doing at any given time great game love this game what do you think aaron well just when you think you know how things are going to go 
and how well you're going to do, the rats come. The plague ah, of rats. Yes, the rats. Yeah, the plague of rats will ruin all of your plans. However, there's also three people on every turn that can help you. If you want to give them money, they can help you with give you bonuses and things that will help you fight the rats and help you achieve your goals. So overall, fantastic game. What I liked about it most as I get a little, I get a little weary around drafting games mm-hmm. because quite often in drafting games, you end up with cards, especially if you're just learning a game that don't really help you. You think it will help you, but you can't really use them. They end up becoming obsolete very early in the game. Right. Right. In this game, no matter what you get, you're going to be able to use those cards. You're going to be able to, you know, further yourself into the game. But like I said, you need to keep an eye on those rats. You need to make sure you're not going to let them take over. Otherwise, you're going to lose points and lose things. It's a really, even though it's a 2007 game, I think it looks really good. Uh, the You were mentioning how, depending on how many players are playing, you can actually change the centerpiece in the board and turn that into a two-player game, four-player game. Even I think you said five, right? Yeah, it plays up to five. Yeah, the design of the board is really unique and neat. It's so cool the way the board can change for the number of players but stay exactly the same in terms of everybody's odds and everybody's uh, success rates and the actual layout itself while shrinking or expanding for your play number really a cool design yep yep theme is really good the playability is really good if i had even the smallest complaint uh, the Notre Dame part of the game doesn't really seem to be a major factor in the game. It's and that might be why I was first and you weren't. I got a lot of points <laughs> oh, from Notre Dame. <laughs> really? Yeah. I don't know. It's in the center of the board, and if you go there, you do get points. You um, get a lot of points. Did you? Especially if you're the only one to go there. He was first. Yeah. I was second, though. You were. Yeah, no, you played a good game. Uh, so you got a Notre the, Dame war is what I'm hearing. The key, there's a couple <laughs> of keys to it. And one of the keys is that plague of rats. You want to fight off the plague. You have to fight off the plague. But at a certain point, it's not necessarily your best option. You might score more points by letting the the rats hit Paris and not worrying so much about that, taking the punishment and then getting more points doing something else. And I think one of the other players had a problem where he perhaps spent too much time concentrating on the rats and it ended up costing him. And that's why you hit second was you got that switch. You were able to figure out when to stop paying attention to the rats and start paying attention to just earning points. So there is a moment where that becomes an important skill. And I think that was why you ended up in second. But I think if you had been playing Notre Dame more, you would have been closer to me in first. There you go. So that's all I got to fix. And then I'm going to win next time. Simple as that. Exactly right. Yeah. Yep. So Notre Dame, Steffenfeld, part of the Aaliyah, as you mentioned, Game 11 in a huge series, Ravensburger 2007. If you can find yourself a copy, it still plays great. It feels like it came out yesterday. Good looking game. It's not hard to find at all. Yeah, it's still in print. So check it out and uh, let us know what you think. So send us an email, definitelyboard at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at BoardDefinitely, Facebook at DefinitelyBoard, and there's a guild at BoardGameGeek, Definitely Board Game Podcast. And of course, if you want to hear us talk about more games, check us out on our own podcast, Definitely Board Game Podcast. I don't even know how many episodes have dropped by this point when you're hearing this. It's a lot. That's all I can tell you. 4,733. That's how many? 2,044. One of the two. Yeah. Okay. So with that, Royce, anything else before we go? No. All right. Say goodbye, Royce. Goodbye, Royce.
Bye, everybody. Hey, everybody. My name is Chris Morris from Mozart Games, and I am back once again with Cardboard Conjecture to talk about what you've been playing Wednesday. You can find me on Twitter as SpiderMo. That's Spider with a Y if you like what you hear and want to give me a follow for some board game thoughts, my ongoing challenges as a designer, and a little bit of me complaining about random things. This week for what you've been playing, I want to talk about a game that I've been playing a lot recently. Dinosaur Island Roar and Write from Pandasaurus Games. It's a roll and write game based on their other two games, Dinosaur Island and Dinosaur World, that plays from one to four players. Yes, this game has a solo mode, and it might be my favorite solo game that I've played, supplanting Terraforming Mars from Top Spot, but that could just be because of its short playtime. Now, in this game, players are all attempting to build their own dinosaur parks using two park sheets, one that you'll draw your park on and keep track of your DNA, while the other one tracks things like excitement gained, specialists recruited, and deaths that have happened within your park. It's a very involved roll and write with a lot of options available to players during the game, so much so that you will never be able to complete everything that you want to do in a game, which is a nice change to some other roll and writes. It's played over three seasons, with each season broken down into two action phases and a run park phase. During the action phases, players will roll and then draft dice from a central market, gaining the resources shown on any dice that they take. Each player will get two dice in this phase, and there will be a single die left over, which each player will gain the resources from, and then they will add any threat shown on that remaining die to their park sheets. Threat represents potential deaths the players will gain later on in the round, and can be countered by building security. Now, once players have drafted their dice, they will then use them as workers on an action board, which allows players to build dinosaurs with the DNA that they've collected, build roads or attractions, or gain the bonuses from their dice a second time. Dice can potentially block others from placing theirs on the same spots, but you can still place a die on another so long as you gain any threat shown on the die that you are placing on top of. So even if the spot that you want to use has been taken, you can still utilize it if you don't mind risking the safety of your future visitors. When players build an attraction or a new dinosaur, they'll draw the corresponding shape on their park sheet. No two buildings can ever touch each other, so there is some spatial planning that is required during the game, because even if your park looks spacious at the start, real estate will start to get very tight as the game progresses. Players will also need to build roads that will connect all of their enclosures or attractions for the next phase in each round. Now, fortunately for those of us with limited artistic skills, Pandasaurus Games has made sure that each dinosaur uses a unique letter to mark off where they are in your park. And each time that you build a dinosaur, if it's the first of its kind that you've made, you'll need to draw an enclosure for it. And then for every dinosaur you build, you'll add its threat and excitement to your park sheet by marking off boxes for each track. Excitement is crucial to build as you gain bonuses for marking off certain spots on the track. So the earlier that you, that you gain excitement, the more benefits that you'll gain throughout the game. 
After the two action phases, each player will run their park by going through five quick steps shown on your sheet. Players will first gain bonuses from any attractions that they have built, then for any specialists that they have hired. Next, they run a tour of their park, marking off any buildings that they visit and gaining excitement if it's the first time that that building has been visited in the game. Now, if you end your tour at the end of one of the marked exits, you'll circle it, gaining its victory points at the end of the game. Because each building or exit can only earn these points the first time that they're visited, it's very important to make sure that you hit up different parts of your park each tour phase. Finally, you'll gain any bonuses for any resources that you've marked off on your excitement track, and then you will check to see if you have more threat than security, marking off a death for each that you exceed. If you collect too many deaths, then a disaster happens, and you need to lose various resources, roads, or buildings that you've earned, crossing them off of your sheets and losing those bonuses from future rounds. After three rounds, players will count up their earned victory points from everything that's in their park, and whoever has earned the most points wins. There's two decks of cards included in the game for the specialists and attractions that players can build in each game, ensuring that no two games are exactly the same. The mixture of cards in each game will change how players will build their parks, because you'll never be able to build everything, but they can help you to gain more bonuses throughout. Attractions provide an immediate bonus when they're built, as well as endgame scoring while specialists provide a bonus when doing park tours, as well as their immediate bonus. There is also a deck of cards for playing against a solo AI that is intuitive and easy to use, providing you with endgame goals while also showing you which dice the AI player will take each round, as well as which, place, which spaces on the action board they will place their dice. Inevitably, they seem to take the best die each round, and they also cover up the one spot that you really want, forcing you to either change your plans or take the extra threat. It's a very simple system, but it provides you with a very enjoyable solo experience that's a great way to learn the game and figure out how to properly plan your park in future games against real opponents. There is a surprising amount of strategy in this game, and each and every time you will finish playing and regret everything that you just built, swearing that next time you'll build a better organized dinosaur park but somehow that never happens. Because the game plays within 30 to 45 minutes, it's very easy to reset and play a second time immediately afterwards, trying out new strategies and different attractions and specialists. I did receive a copy of Dinosaur Island Roar and Write for helping Pandasaurus out at several online convections, and I honestly didn't think that I would keep it since I also have Dinosaur World and Dinogenics, but I really love this game. The quick playtime and vast amount of options in each game means it has so much replayability, and I can totally see myself running out of park sheets eventually, even though they are double-sided and the game includes two thick stacks of these sheets. There is also an app releasing shortly from Pandasaurus that allows you to play online against opponents and will automatically track things for you, which should make playing much easier. And best of all, it will be free to download, which is an added bonus. I'm Chris Morris, and thank you again for listening to my thoughts about Dinosaur Island Roar and Write. If you liked what you heard from me and want to see or hear more, I can be found on Twitter as SpiderMo. Thanks again for listening, and may all your dice rolls be critical successes. Yeah.
Hello everybody, it's Rob and Anna-Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello! And we're back again recording for the What You've Been Playing Wednesdays podcast, and this week we have one game to talk about. What game is that, Anna-Marie? That is The Quacks of Quedlinburg, designed by Wolfgang Warsh and published by North Star Games. Yes, it's Quacks probably of Wolfgang Warsh. But. Yes. <laughs> this game is an ultra popular game and is probably one of the most played games in our house yeah i would say it's one of the more played games just for its ease and fun and uh the kids kids love it and and can play it a lot oldest yeah yeah um although our youngest is is starting he's getting into it as he's getting older he's getting you know he's having a lot more fun with it (laughs) yes yeah and it's it's just yeah a game that we can pull off the shelf and play at kind of any point with pretty much anybody and yeah. that's always nice. So whether it's with my gaming crew, your gaming crew, and whatever, we can. this is always a great option. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about how does this game play. Well, it's a, it's a bag builder. So if anyone out there doesn't know what a bag builder is, it's when you have... A bag? A bag <laughs> with um, uh, your different tiles or tokens inside the bag, and you're going to be pulling them out every round to do things for you. So tell them how this one works, Anna-Marie. So this game, um, you basically, everybody starts with the same amount of chips in your bag to start with. Right. A pumpkin. A a spider. Spider. And then there are white chips, and the white chips are the bad chips. And you've got four number ones, two number twos, and a number three. Right. Um, And you have a player board that is a big cauldron. Yeah, and it starts uh, in the middle. It starts at zero, and it goes uh, swirling around and around in ascending order. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It goes up and All up and up. All the way to 35. 35. Yes. And then in intervals, you'll have um, starting victory points. Yep. So, you know, one to 15. Various victory points throughout. In like random It's not spots. one for one. It's like no. at, at the sixth spot is the first victory point and then it turns to two at 10 and it turns yeah. to three at 14 and, and then yeah. also uh scattered in there you've got rubies so you yep. know you'll you can gather rubies and stuff so basically on your turn uh, and, and you, it's not even a turn you can do this simultaneously which is nice yes. so you yeah I, another great thing about this I game i think it tells you around. you're supposed to go in order you um, are because of the, at the end technical things that can happen in yeah. player order and that's more if you're like getting close to the end but we've never done that it's because if if someone's going to bust, bust. you want to have done it in certain yeah. amount of order yeah. rather than waiting to see if someone's going to pull or not, right? Yeah. So, but we're we've getting never ahead really, of ourselves here. But we've never really done that, and we've no. still had fun with it. But anyways, yes. So, um, you pull out uh, your chips one at a time. So you pull out one, you place it. Um, you have a water droplet that starts at zero. That's kind of your your starting yeah, and point. These, and the, the tokens and chips you're pulling out of your bag are representing like different ingredients. Because you're, you're making a potion. I guess we should say potion. that. Yeah. You're a quack. The quacks of Quedlinburg. Yes. You're an un, unlicensed doctor yes, that exactly. has no you're, formal you're training. You're throwing different <laughs> random things into this pot. And, and you're the, making potions. Yes. So um, these are the ingredients you're using to make your potion. And um, so you're, you know, you're laying down. Let's say I pull out my number one white. I yep. put it down on the number one. Then I pull out my pumpkin, which so happens to be a one. I put it right beside my number one on the number two because it's one value of one. Yep. Um, next, I pull out my three white. So I'm now starting at two. I'm going to go one, two, three, place my three white on, on, the, five. Num- on the five. That's right. Um, now, the, the tricky, fun part about this game is that if you, in total, pull eight white so if your if your white chips add up to eight 
or more at any point in time you bust. Yes, it's like your potion has exploded. Yeah, it explodes in your face and um, reveals you for the quack that you are. Yes. (laughs) So you don't want to have more than seven white on your board. So... Um, so that's the whole push, push your, lock your luck aspect of this yeah, game. Yeah, and yes. when you first start, you don't have a lot of extra chips in there. You have a spider and a pumpkin, and that's it. Everything else is white to start. Um, if you are getting close to busting, let's say you pull out your three white, and that puts you at six, mm-hmm. you have a little potion um, in your on your player board that you can flip over. You can drink your potion, and you can take the last white chip that you played Throw down. It. Throw back it back in your bag. In your bag. Yep. Half the time when I do that, I end up pulling that pull same, same one, one out again. Yes, I've <laughs> but, been there, yeah. But it gives you a glimmer of hope. Um, but then at the end of that round, once you've either busted or you've decided, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm going to just hold where I am. Yep. That ends the that part of the round. Then you basically see where your last chip was laid and you look at the, um, the one ahead of it. So yep. let's say my last chip was laid on the eight. So I got around eight spots. Um that one's covered. So my next spot is a nine and that nine becomes my income. Yep. So that's how much money I have to spend potions, uh, spend on, on ingredients. ingredients. Yes. And then just so happens that on that number nine, there's also a little one victory point. So I would also get a victory point. Yeah. You'd and move up one on the victory point track and then you'd have nine points to spend on more yeah. chips for your bag. And there also happens to be a ruby there. So I would get a ruby. Yes. So. That's basically how that part of the round goes. Then, uh, once you get once you've done that, uh, you move on to this little player board, or the I guess the scoring scoreboard, yeah, board. scoring yeah. track. So whoever has gone the farthest without busting, so um, lands you know the farthest, they get to roll a bonus die. Yep. And uh, and that bonus die will either give you a ruby, it'll give you um, you can move your water droplet, it'll give you a pumpkin. And you're basically just going around getting extra points. You can spend rubies to flip your potion back over so you can use it next time. You can flip your or spend rubies to move your water droplet up the track for bonus items. Yeah, there's there's a water droplet that represents your starting position on on your own player board. So you can spend rubies to push that up further. So you'd start at, say, five, six or seven instead of zero zero every turn. Yeah. Or you can use that water droplet to push up a little bonus track that gives you little bonus things like victory points and other uh, yeah. uh, ingredients and stuff. And there's something really cool about this game, too, because at the uh, you don't really have to worry about busting in the first few rounds because they um, there are these things. You've got rat tails on the scoring yes. board. So let's say the first player ends up victory point wise like three rat tails ahead of the next players um then the next players get to move their little water droplet up three spots yeah or they don't move their water droplet they have a little yeah they have a little rat token that you basically will move up three spots and then you start there so you can't get really left behind yeah and then you'll have more income on the next turn it's a really neat uh it's a fun game just a a great nice push your luck if you haven't played it you really should i'm sure Somebody in almost every gaming group out there's got to have a copy of this game oh, yeah. somewhere. Somebody's going to have it. So it's it's so fun that push your luck element where you're just like, oh, I Do really I... want to get more. I especially when you have so many good chips towards the end of the game. I know when yeah. you've got so many good colorful chips and you've just had bad luck pulling the white ones. You're like, I want to keep going, <laughs> and it's uh, it's fun. It's just yeah, a fun, it's, and then it, it's addicting to pull out yeah, of the bag too. Inevitably, right? it's like, no, yeah, no. This but, game is fantastic. 
And I would say easily inside my top 50 games of all time. Oh, that's great. This um, game is is very high on my yeah. list, too. And it's got two expansions. There's one called the Her Witches uh, that we have sitting there on the shelf, but we haven't played it yet. We haven't. No, no we've just been playing the the, uh, the, the base, base game. game. But there's also a new one that just came out called Ooh. The Alchemists, I Oh, think, yeah. Maybe we should get that Which we one. don't have. So we need to get those or get the Alchemists and get them both included yeah. here and, and see how it goes. But yeah, no. Quacks of Quedlinburg. Excellent game. The base game on its own does yeah, come with just a lot the base of playability. It's fantastic. <laughs> but we're way over time here. Oh, we wow. got to run. So we'll see you next week. Cheers. See ya. Hey, everybody. This is Norm from Cardboard Conjecture Podcast and Bridge City Board Gamers here in Saskatoon. And uh, let's get to our Facebook community here in Saskatoon. We have a thread, What You've Been Playing Wednesday. And uh, I'm eagerly awaiting to find out. So, Jonathan, a couple of games of Warp's Edge, a couple of games of Root, uh, Exploding Kittens, and Wavelength. Cool. Warp's Edge. I think that's a solo game, so I might have to look into that. Root. Um, that's the opposite of what a solo game is. And uh, Exploding Kittens, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to talk about the dark comedy involved in that one. But moving on. Uh, so, oh, yes, uh, Root. Every, I, there's so many people who, uh, who just dial that game in. Um, I, I enjoy it. It's a, there's a lot of things to uh, learn, though. So Jeff, we're moving on to Jeff. Anachrony. Oh, I hear that's a really good worker placement game. Clans of Caledonia, I love that game. Uh, it's basically the Scottish version of, uh, of uh, Gaia Project, or, you know. Um, uh, Beyond the Sun, uh, Whistle Mountain, and The Magnificent. Those, I paused there for a second, kind of, ooh, these are good titles. Yeah, you, you, got, you stalled me in my brain. Good job. Those are great titles. Uh, moving on, Jason. No games this past week. What? Jason, you've been very busy then. All right, well, let's hope, let's hope you get an opportunity to play games. Uh, Hans. Ooh, Hans has got a paragraph. All right, here we go. <clears throat> Terraforming Mars, Cloud City, Wingspan, Paladins of the West Kingdom, Terraforming Mars, Ares Expedition, The Voyages of Marco Polo, Dune Imperium, Lorenzo 2, uh, sorry, Lorenzo Il Magnifico, Grand Austria Hotel, Terra Mystica, Furnace, Calico, Project L, Sulkin. Hans, did you go to like a board game convention or something? Oh, you know what? Let's put a, let's put a context to that. I believe uh, he had a, uh, like kind of like a little mini con and, uh, that was uh, brilliant. Those are all great games. I could spend the, <laughs> I could spend ten minutes talking about each one. Um, the one that pops out that I uh, that I really like is uh, Grand Austria Hotel. Um, Ryan taught me that one at at Falcon in Calgary before reality got shut down. And um, yeah, that's a great game. Cool, David. Uh, Small World. Yes, Settlers of, Catan, Settlers of Catan and Bonanza at yesterday's school board game club. Wonderful. 
Bonanza is so much fun. Yeah, that's, that's one of my favorite Rosenberg games, and it's just a card game, and it's brilliant. Yay, good job. Ash, Kilt Castle, King Domino, Lupin Louie, uh, Lupin Chewy. Oh, you know, Star Wars version. Vampires of the Night. I had my nephews over and have them hooked on board games. Yay, more. One of us, one of us. There you go. Tim, Castles of Burgundy, and Mary, Mr. Darcy. Cool. Cool. Castles of Burgundy. I love that game. That's one of my favorite Feld games. Not the, but one of them. And uh, I've never heard of Mary, Mr. Darcy, so I'm going to have to have a little sneak peek at that one. Brian, Hardback, and the crew. Two great card games. Two different card games, but two great card games. Uh, Scott, hopefully this is not too late for this one, but last week I was on, I was at GridCon, right on. So I got a whole bunch of things played. Uh, oh, he's got himself a list. Here we go. <clears throat> Fast. No thanks. Dodica, the great Dalmuti, just one. Marvel Champions, Mercado de Lisboa, Icky. Cubitos, Pulsar 2849, Weather Machine, twice, I'm Jealous, twice, Boone Lake, Jealous, Mandala Stone, Arkham Horror LCG, Freeride, The Castles of Tuscany. Wow, I'm Jealous. That should be a board game. Okay, that, oh, those are awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah, yeah, I mentioned a couple in there that <laughs> they want to play. Uh, Shane played Clank, sorry, Clank in space, um, uh, or just Clank, and then Space Base. Look at me reading faster than I can talk. Uh, and Parks. Wow, cool. Yeah, those are very solid games. Um, it, I, I, I got my brain fixed on our Clank Legacy game that we still haven't finished yet. Oh, we'll get to it. Um, Eli played Marvel Champions Atlantis Rising Two times, I have that right behind me, and I can hear it going, it's my turn to play. Um, and uh, Final Girl, and then finally got All In Pledge. Very excited. I think he's uh, he's been listening to Ryan's Kickstarter stuff way too much. Lane, uh, very intense round of Gloomhaven. Came down to the last movement with aid of Poison to win. Yeah, I mean, the, the narratives... These storytelling games, they stick in the memory a lot. I love that. Um, boop, 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 boop. Moving on. Marianne. Uh, it looks like she played The Downfall of Pompeii. Uh, Jeff at Amazing Stories uh, told me about this game, and he says it was, he said it is a really cool game. And uh, I'm just looking at an uh, image, and there's a, there's a volcano on the board. So that's a bonus. Cool. Um, Rebecca played a Monopoly deal, was pulled out again. Strate uh, strategies are being developed. Cool. I've, you know what? I've heard some interesting things about that one. And <laughs> it's, it's very funny. Everybody tiptoes around the, the word Monopoly because, you know, you know. Um, but uh, I understand from a lot of reputable sources that if you actually play it properly with the rules, it's a good game. It's an auction game by, by nature, so yeah. Well, you know what? I got a game uh, in this week as well. Um, I got to play 
uh, on our Wednesday, regular Wednesday game night, um, Great Western Trail, uh, Alexander Pfister. And uh, man, that is one of my go-to favorites, apparently, because that game is getting worn out. Um, it is a uh, hard to describe. So thematically, let's go with the theme. You're, you're moving cattle um, from, I believe, Texas to Kansas City. And on this route, which is partially developed, there's, there's a main route and then there's side routes through some dangerous areas that have beneficial um, uh, um, uh, you know, um, situations to them, but there are some obstacles uh, in route. But I, I, I'm meandering like my trails. Um, so on the, to, you want to get to the end of Kansas City and deliver what is a, also a deck builder. And the deck is the, is the cows that you have. And when you deliver, you have to have uh, a different color cow. And there's different values to these cows. And, and like every good deck builder, there's a cattle market where you can increase the um, herd level, I guess, the herd value level, because that's what you're cycling through. And as you're going through these paths, there's going to be buildings where you can sell a green cow to get some money to do the secondary action on this, which could be building. We could talk about buildings. As I said, this route is somewhat developed, and you and the other players will, if you have that strategy and the carpenters necessary, will start to build stops along this route, and some routes have tolls that the other players have to pay. Um, that's brilliant. When you get to the end and deliver them, you need a train to move these cattle to other parts of the territories and, and country. And uh, so you need engineers, and in the, these engineers move the train down the track so that you're able to successfully and profitably deliver cattle, which in turn becomes this engine that starts to generate you points. And for some reason, I love this game, but I still can't find that engine. Um, no, I'm joking. Uh, I have great games and I have poor games. And, uh, but bottom line, this game is always, always fun to play. And it's uh, what I like too about this game is watching how everybody else interprets the, the same information that I have, right? Um, and uh, what I can glean from that. So, <laughs> and apparently, not much or not fast enough and uh so that uh as i will i'll stop i'll stop uh um uh, <laughs> um de degrading my ability to play this game but yes great western trail there's new stuff coming out with new art um if you, if you want to hear my opinions on that i think there's a uh, there's a good bad and ugly um uh, episode that we have about board game art so um the game's great don't look at the box cover. Wait for the new one to come out. Um, so that was Great Western Trail. Uh, I love it a lot. And also, I'm also very appreciative of everybody listening to uh, what we have to say about what we've been playing. And also very appreciative of all the content creators that, that collaborate and come together to put together this episode every week. Thank you so much. Always appreciated. And that being said... Keep your stick on the ice and take care out there, eh?